0: that passage open and it would be helpful if you kept it open and uh, tried to follow the sermon from the passage because we're certainly going to be going through the passage. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. Lord, make your word our rule, your spirit our teacher and your glory our supreme concern for Jesus Christ our Saviour's sake. Amen. So, the question we're looking at this morning is why did Jesus come? And over the centuries this has been uh, the sort of question that's been asked by historians and novelists, filmmakers, uh, people in general. Why did Jesus come? And usually the the sort of solutions they come up with are the the sort that we've suggested here on the screen. Um, A lot of people would say that Jesus came to be a teacher, a preacher, a prophet, And that's certainly true and as far as many people are concerned, that's as far as it goes. You know, he's just one amongst many prophets and teachers and you take a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of uh, Muhammad and a little bit of somebody else and and that's where it leaves you. Uh, Some people have put a lot of emphasis on Jesus as the miracle worker and seen him uh, in another category altogether and uh, that has not often been combined with Jesus the teacher or Jesus the prophet. So you get another sort of way of looking at Jesus. I guess most of us here this morning would want to conclude that he is the saviour. He came to be our saviour. But the question is how does that relate to the other bits because there's no question at all that Jesus was a teacher and preacher. That comes out of our passage very clearly and also that Jesus was a wonder worker. So, what was the balance? What was the priority for him? How did it all fit together in his view, in his ministry? Now, in order to understand this, we need to look at the context. And earlier in chapter 4, Jesus preaches in the synagogue in Nazareth and he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And this is what the text says. I'm looking at chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the, the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And Jesus makes it clear there that his priority is preaching, teaching proclamation. But he says that this is going to bring about, literally, release. Now, the word is translated in our version, freedom. I'm going to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, he says, recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free. He uses the same word twice. So, Jesus is a liberator. But in what sense? Who does he come to liberate and in what sense? Well, in the passage we're looking at this morning, at the end of the chapter, Jesus begins to illustrate the kind of liberation he came to bring and it's not a a political liberation, Uh, it's very much a spiritual and individual liberation though obviously it has big social consequences. But clearly preaching is Jesus' priority so we're going to have to try and work out how that liberation ties in with his deeds, his mighty works and with his preaching. Well, the first thing that this passage tells us is that Jesus comes to deliver people from evil. The prisoner, the first prisoner that he releases is the man in the synagogue who is overcome by some kind of evil spirit. He's possessed by a demon. And this expresses itself in the fact that this man doesn't seem to have full control of himself and uh, this spirit, this power is... um, is controlling him until Jesus says, Be quiet. And the spirit comes out, and the, and the demon threw the man before him, or before them all, and, and, and came out without injuring him. So here is a man who is physically and intellectually under the control of an evil spirit. This might seem like a, a very different world from the one in which we live until you begin to think about it. I think many people in our society are actually in the grip of self-destructive forms of evil. It's most obvious with things like addictions, where people are totally caught up, totally absorbed in, in things like greed, sex, drugs and so on. And these things can totally control people's lives, totally captivate them and in the end totally ruin them. But if we look into our own lives and if we look into the lives of, of people in general, I think we can see there are lots of ways in which people are held captive. They're held captive by their beliefs. They're held, sometimes they're held captive by their background, experience, uh, all sorts of things that you'd say people are in the grip of evil. They're under the control of powers that they, they, in, in the end they don't need. They shouldn't be under, under the control of. And the remarkable thing is that in this particular case, this man was, if you like, under a religious form of possession. This demonic spirit actually recognised who Jesus was. So the man himself says, I know who you are. Uh, you're, you're the Holy One. You're the promised Messiah. I, you, I you've come to destroy us. I, I don't want to be destroyed. Um, get away. I don't want to have anything to do with you. So a religious form of possession is actually where people are spiritual, in inverted commas, and may even say positive things about Jesus. But they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. They want to reject him. You can be religious and and really controlled by an, a, an evil spirit. You can be totally rebellious against God and yet pretend to be religious. And that is the kind of thing that is going on here. It's in a synagogue that this is taking place that this suddenly happens, that this spirit-possessed person recognises who Jesus is. And Jesus silences the person, as he often does in his ministry, because he doesn't want the powers of evil to be the ones who proclaim who he is. He wants to proclaim who he is. And he wants the people who become his disciples to proclaim who he is. He doesn't want people to get confused, uh, who are the goodies and who are the baddies. Uh, He doesn't want the people who are possessed to be the ones who proclaim his name and his character. So, he silences uh, this person and uh, the person is uh, released. Uh, The amazing thing is that Jesus does this with a simple word of command. Now, he's already spoken in the synagogue in a way that's caused people amazement because he's just a layman. He wasn't trained as a rabbi, but in those days it was quite permissible for uh, a layperson, as it is in the Jewish synagogue today, for a layperson to contribute, to make some comments, um, and uh, maybe stand up and, and give a word of explanation or encouragement on the basis of the Bible reading. So, Jesus did that, uh, but people recognised that he had, a, he had an amazing authority, a knowledge uh, about the Scriptures and their meaning, and that really uh, uh, captivated them. But now they're seeing that the same word of, of, that comes from his mouth is able to command evil to depart, to disappear, to go, and for people to be released from the powers of evil, simply by the command of Jesus. So, um, this is just an amazing combination of two things which really help us, I think, to understand something about Jesus' ministry. He was primarily a teacher and preacher. That's why he says he came out. Um, If you look right at the end of the passage, we'll see that. Uh, In verse 43, Jesus says, proclaiming the good news is why I was sent. And back there in... um, earlier on when he quotes from Isaiah, it's pretty clear that he comes to proclaim. But his word, his message is able to release people. He's able either to release people by commanding something, be healed or or, or be released from demonic possession. By a simple word of command he can make things happen. But also by his teaching he is able to release people. He's able to release people from whatever grips them. And These are signs of the kingdom of God uh, breaking into human experience. How might we expect to see such things happening today? I don't think that the New Testament uh, encourages us to go around exorcising people who are demonically possessed, um, but rather to go around sharing the Gospel, to share the Gospel of Jesus. Because it is, in the end, the message of Jesus that releases people from captivity. I, My wife and I had... Um, an amazing experience of this. Over the course of a few years, we were involved in ministering to a girl who was on drugs and who was totally caught up in prostitution. She needed the prostitution in order to fund the drugs. Um, We shared the gospel with her many times and she became a believer and she truly trusted in Christ. She truly experienced his forgiveness, his reconciling grace. Uh, But it took obviously a long time before that captivity came Um, I don't have the the word of command that Jesus had to to bring that liberation. But it was the message of Jesus, the message of forgiveness and reconciliation with God that in the end brought healing and release for this girl. And there were times when we thought it wasn't going to happen because she kept on slipping back into that addiction. So I myself have seen the power of the Gospel uh, in in that sort of dramatic way and I've seen it throughout my life in many ways, transforming people's lives. So we have to realise that the word of Jesus on our lips, the word of truth, the word of the Gospel, still has the power to change lives. And we need to keep on sharing it with people even though they might reject it. Even though they say, I know all about that, I know about Jesus. They might even say good things about Jesus. But if they reject him, then clearly they're rejecting his power, they're rejecting his transforming grace. And we as Christians just need quietly to keep sharing it with them, sharing the message of God's forgiveness and reconciling mercy And we too will see how he can transform lives today and release people from the power of evil. Second thing that we see in this passage is release from the consequences of sin more broadly. Jesus heals people who have various kinds of sicknesses including a high fever which is just picked as a kind of special example. And then in the following chapters we find that people are delivered from leprosy, paralysis and even death. So, there's a range of examples that Luke gives us of this release from the consequences of sin. And again, you see that what Jesus does here is he simply uh, releases people from sickness by the word of command. In this case, it says he rebuked the fever. Isn't that an an unusual expression, isn't it? It's like Jesus was angry with sickness. Like he was saying, you shouldn't have that. That shouldn't be there. Go. (laughs) Just like he said to the demonic force, there were things that were captivating people and sickness of course is one of the things that really controls some people's lives. So Jesus was angry with sickness because he, th- he thought it didn't really belong in human life and the reason for that is to go back to Genesis 3 that um, because of hu- humanity's rebellion against God, um, sickness is one of the things that uh, we all experience in our world today. The Bible doesn't say that just because you're sick, that's automatically because of some sin you've committed. Sometimes it's true, isn't it? I mean, sometimes we do things that we put ourselves in a position where we get sick. But mostly the Bible says that death, disease, disability, all these things are the result of living in a fallen world, of living in a world that's in rebellion against God. So, Christians get cancer and Christians have disabled children. Um, It's part of... It's part of living in a fallen world. But of course, that's not the end of the story as far as the Bible is concerned. And Isaiah the prophet had these wonderful words to say back in chapter 35 of Isaiah, that God would come to save his people and then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame man leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And that's exactly what, was happening in the ministry of Jesus as he went around fulfilling that sort of prophecy. So Jesus' miracles become a sign of his divine identity. God has come to deal with the problems of human life uh, but also of of his incredible authority as the king in God's kingdom. The kingdom of God must be at hand because the king is here doing these remarkable things. But Each person that Jesus healed got sick again and each person whom Jesus raised from death actually really died. Lazarus really died in the end. So what was going on here? It was like a a, a sample of what was to come, an anticipation of the final new creation uh, that is to come. And uh, so Jesus was encouraging people to believe that the final reality would come by engaging in these mighty works which pointed to his power, his authority and the presence of God's kingdom. So we might ask, where is the kingdom of God today and what can we expect about healing? And Luke's Gospel gives us the answer. If you keep reading on and you get to the end, you realise that it's saying the kingdom of God comes with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. Because in the death of Jesus, God defeats the power of sin. God puts Christ in in our place as as the one who deserves the judgement. God provides release, forgiveness through the death of Jesus and release from sin and suffering and sickness and death through the resurrection. And then he pours out his spirit so that we can enjoy in anticipation all the benefits of being under God's rule. So the kingdom of God came... Uh, with the death and resurrection of Jesus, his ascension, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, they're all part of the, the coming of the kingdom. And we, if we're Christians, we're living under that rule now, but we're not fully in it. You know, we're, we're only sort of in the anticipatory stage, and we're still waiting for the fullness to come uh, with the resurrection of our bodies uh, to live in God's new creation forever. So, yeah, we can pray for healing in this life. And God sometimes answers that prayer the way we want and sometimes he doesn't and that's the mystery of living in this kind of environment. And we should pray for healing. We should, we should pray for deliverance from evil um, and, and we, it, I've been with people who've prayed for deliverance from death. Uh, but of course in the end we have to realise that all these things will get us in the end because we still live in this world uh, but we're still looking forward to the fulfilment, the realisation in uh, the kingdom of God which is to come. How do we know it's coming? Isn't this, is this make-believe? No, it's not because of what Jesus did in history and because he died and rose again to make our share in this possible uh, for eternity. Well, the third and final thing that Jesus does here is actually proclaiming the kingdom. In verse 42, the people want him to stay around and uh, do more healing and... Um, He actually uh, resisted that because he couldn't meet the constant demand and spread himself widely enough. Even in a small country of Palestine, um, Jesus would have spent his every day going around healing people and he'd go to one town and heal people and go on to the next and he'd have to go back to the first town because people would get sick again. And, you know, that was not why he came primarily. They, They were signs of the real purpose. The real purpose was to achieve our ultimate salvation the miracles were signs, the preaching was explaining it all and pointing forward to the ultimate which is his cross and resurrection. So that's how things fit together and so Jesus says in verse 43, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. Uh, That was his priority uh, because clearly this word, this message uh, is what delivers uh, in this age and that's where we come in again. So, as I said, something had to happen to to make complete healing and deliverance from death possible and the teaching of Luke's Gospel makes it clear that what had to happen uh, was his death and resurrection. But Jesus had to show that the kingdom of God was at hand and that the power and consequences of sin could be removed by his sacrifice and his rising to new life. That's what it's pointing forward to. So, proclaiming the kingdom of God meant offering forgiveness and the promise of eternal life in advance of his great work on the cross, his his resurrection. And we see that happening in, you'll probably deal with this in a couple of weeks, but in chapter 5 there's a story of a man who has paralysis. Jesus heals him from paralysis, but most importantly he says your sins can be forgiven. And this makes it very clear how the two things link together. Uh, Jesus does want to provide physical healing for people as a sign. Of the kingdom, but he wants to ultimately offer them the reality of forgiveness, which is what we most need—restoration of fellowship with God. That he says is why he was sent. So, what are the conclusions for us? Well, God can deliver us from the present impact of evil in our lives, and he can give—and um, in answer to our prayers, he can give us healing. But the ultimate release will only come when we share with Jesus in his resurrection from death. So meanwhile what we most need is to recognise Jesus for who he is, uh, to confess him as the Holy One of God or as the Son of God and that's something we do regularly when we come together to to uh, encourage one another, to remind ourselves of who he really is. But then of course it's, we want to find opportunities for doing that in our everyday life with friends and neighbours and family and friends and so on. Opportunities to, to declare who Jesus is and why he came. That's the heart of the gospel, and we should be looking for opportunities um, to do that. And of course, we need to respond ourselves to this message about the kingdom of God and receive the forgiveness that he offers ourselves. So, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God should still be a priority for us as disciples of Jesus. Uh, but now, what we can offer people is the fullness, the the realisation, the the completion, the assured results uh, of what he achieved uh, through the Gospel. So, if anything, this passage teaches us the power of Jesus' word, Jesus' word of command, Jesus' word of proclamation or teaching, which when it's received and believed has the impact to change our lives and to transform us into the kind of people God wants us to be. I'm going to pray and then we'll have an opportunity for a bit of a question and answer time. So, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you did not leave the world in the condition in which it was. You sent your Son to redeem us, to save us, to rescue us, to reconcile us to yourself. And we thank you that the consequences of that are remarkable, that we will enter into your eternal kingdom where there is no more sin and suffering and pain, and sickness, and disease, and disability, or death. We thank you that in your new creation, everything is perfect. And we thank you that what Jesus did on earth was a clear sign of what is to come. We bless you for that, our Father. And we thank you that the greatest reality is forgiveness, reconciliation with you. We pray that everybody in this building this morning might know that, might receive that, might live by it. And that with that assurance ourselves we may be able to reach out to others proclaiming who Jesus is and offering the benefits of his wonderful work through the promises of the Gospel. Give us strength, give us wisdom, give us opportunities we pray by the power of your spirit and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, time for any questions that you'd like to ask about the passage, um, about Luke's Gospel. Uh, Let's keep it within those... boundaries. (laughs) Okay, just raise your hand like Simon has and I'll get this microphone to you as quickly as I can. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks for your message too, appreciate that. Um, would, Would it be a good thing to say that the good news for the poor, the release for the captives and so on is included in or incorporated into the broader good news of the gospel? So, I sometimes worry that if we separate the two and we start saying, look, it's for the poor in spirit, it's not just for the poor, that we forget the fact that, as you said, your neighbours, your friends who might first encounter you, might encounter it through an act of mercy or kindness or love and then they'll come to fully. In the same way Jesus kind of does it first and then goes on to show the bigger, broader more grand picture. Yeah, sure. Look, um, the passage that Jesus quoted from in Isaiah 61 was something that was related to the Jews when they were in exile. And so when, when, when it says, I'll preach good news to the poor, in its original context, it means poor Israel. Poor Israel in exile, alienated from God, needing comfort, needing God's rescue. That's the, that's, the, that's the primary reference. So it doesn't mean the economically poor, it means poor destitute Israel in exile. Now when Jesus comes along, when he preaches to the poor, it means everybody who's needy. So it... It could be somebody who's sick. It could be someone who's demon-possessed. But in Luke chapter 7, it's a woman who is a prostitute who needed to be told that she was forgivable. So, the poor in Luke's Gospel is a whole range of people. They are the people we meet in everyday life. Anybody who's without Christ, in the end, is poor. So, you know, in the end, it has a very big definition. And you're perfectly right that sometimes our opportunities for preaching the Gospel come through just caring for people, meeting with them at their point of need, praying for them in their sickness and um, seeing what opportunity comes out of that to share Christ with them. Yep, another question? Yep. David, I've heard prayers for healing ranging from quiet ones of supplication all the way through to almost words of anger. Yeah. How should we pray for healing? What's the basis of the prayer? Well, we should pray that God in his mercy will heal the person that we're concerned about and um, pray in a trusting and confident way um, as as long as we feel that that is appropriate. Now, there do do come times in praying for healing where it becomes pretty obvious that that the time is past and it's it's right to stop and to recognise that God is not going to answer that prayer and obviously sometimes that's because someone moves into a stage of death. We have to recognise, first of all, we're not Jesus. We don't have that word of command to make it happen. We are totally reliant on God's mercy Um, God does care for us, he does meet our needs but sometimes we don't know why our prayers are not answered the way we want. So, I mean, we we may be angry about sickness and it's right to express that anger to God. We can be open and honest with him but um, basically I think our attitude should be one of humble submission and just simply asking um, but then being ready to recognise when the answer comes through uh, that the answer is no. Um, That's humble submission in the end. Any other questions? Hands up if you have a question. We do? Good. You mentioned before um, that uh, we're called more to preach the the good news and the truth of the gospel uh, rather than deliverance of evil spirits and so on. Um, We know that there are a lot of churches um, that, that practice deliverance of evil spirits. Hmm. Uh, could you just talk to that? I, I agree with you that, yes, obviously preaching the good news is, is, um, brings liberation but are we saying that we discount yep. that direct deliverance ministry? Well, first of all, I want to convince you, I hope you are convinced about the passage itself that Jesus' priority was preaching the kingdom and that although exorcism and um, healing was uh, an important part of his ministry, it was a subsidiary to the main thing, the, the, these things were pointing to the ultimate reality that his preaching was all about. So I believe that Christian churches and ministers should be preoccupied with preaching the word and um, sharing the gospel and we as Christians should do that as much as we can. But there do come times in life when um, you know, it certainly is appropriate to pray with people about healing. Only on a few occasions in my life have I ever been in a context where people ask me you know, to pray for the removal of a demonic spirit and... Um, I think that that is a perfectly appropriate thing to do if if it seems to be relevant in the context but not to get sort of absorbed with this as if it's the the answer to every problem, that there's a a demon kind of in every person of a different character. You've got to work out all the demons are. People get really hung up on all that sort of theology and it's really missing the point of this passage of what Jesus' own priority was. Um, So, yeah, I would say we need to follow the pattern that's here. Yeah. Okay, any last, one last question, if you have one? Yeah. Kathy. When I'm going around with the children with the, with the epileptic action, I'm just wondering the easiest way and the right way of prayer for the children um, going around with the hospitals. I'm uh, sorry, I, I didn't... Yep. Um, the children with epilepsy and with the prayer for the children, yeah. uh, the correct way and the easiest way so they understand the word of God. Can you repeat the question? Sorry, I'm just not getting your... Kathy works with um, the Epileptic um, Society and she's just asking, I guess, a suggested way of praying for kids with epilepsy so that they can kind of understand the Word of God. Yeah. Look, I haven't had much experience um, with this but it seems to me that um, we ought to be praying, first of all, that people can function effectively in this life and and the most important thing is that anybody... um, is disabled or got some problems, they should actually have the opportunity to come to know Christ and that I think would have a lot to do with their, their mental and, and physical state. Um, so I think that would be my, my concern. I, I mean, we, we have a Down syndrome um, grandchild and um, so we've, we've thought about what to pray for him and uh, our, our greatest prayer is that he will come to know the Lord Jesus and that he will grow strong and healthy. Um, we're concerned about his physical and emotional and mental growth. We pray, pray about those things. I don't believe it's right to pray for, for that to be taken away, knowing that the way Down syndrome is, is part of you know, the warp and woof of, of our existence as human beings. But certainly to pray for him and the way in which he can live and understand and ultimately come to know the Lord Jesus, that's, that's certainly the way we're praying for him. So I guess I would, ex- I would say, can you extend that prayer to other, other forms of disability? Well, everybody, let's thank David Peterson for being with us here today and for answering questions. It's been excellent. Thank you very much, David. Friends, we're going to now...